These are the confessions of American Christians recovering from American Christianity. This is The World We Made. This is Nathan, your humble and obedient host. I'm joined by our good friend, Pastor Jacob Menzel, and this is part 11 of our 11-part series on fatherhood. Thanks to everybody for sticking with us through the season. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We hope this season has been helpful to you, helpful to fathers. Uh, helpful to people with fathers. People married to fathers. Basically, we hope this was helpful to everybody. You're welcome, everybody. Now, Tim did have a few final thoughts, and we wanted to share those with you today. Yeah, what this episode, as we alluded to last week, what we want to leave people with is hope. There's still hope. That's that's the takeaway of this one. So if you're a dad and you feel like it's too late, if you're a dad and you've listened to this whole series up to this point and you feel like this is beyond me, I can't do this, this is hopeless, I've already messed this up, it's beyond repair, this is the episode for you. That's right. If I'm someone who's tender-hearted, who wants to embrace fatherhood, who wants to become a man, perhaps I'm a new father, perhaps I'm someone who sees roles of authority he should be taking in his life, but I still feel that, that angst about my own dad, about fatherhood in our culture, about all that, how do I put that baggage behind me and begin to take up the, my, my, my role as a man, as a father? Well, the first thing you do is you bow your knee before God the Father from whom all fatherhood gets its name, Ephesians 3. And you confess your sin, your unbelief, your fears, your weakness. And you don't confess them passive-aggressively, you confess them abjectly, with total humility. And you take to your father the things that you need from him. And you ask him to show you what it is, what his fatherhood is. You trust him. And then you ask him to show you how you can be a father as he is a father. And then you study his fatherhood. I've said nothing about how you feel. I suppose saying that you should do it humbly is somewhat of a feeling, but it's more a posture of not thinking that you have any demands or anything to give to him other than yourself and your worship. And then you notice the Apostles' Creed begins with, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and you meditate on it. You you repeat those words as if it's a lollipop or a lifesaver or cotton candy or, or a good steak or something that your mouth just loves to feel inside and taste. You learn to cultivate a love for addressing God as Father, thinking of him as Father, lying in his arms as a, as a child with his Father, having your heart cry out, Abba, Father. Read the Gospel of John. Copy Jesus' Sonship. And then, if God has not given you the gift of singleness, and that's something that you have to think and pray about, get counsel on, but if you do burn, in other words, if you use pornography, chances are very, very good that you don't have the gift of singleness, and so it's better to marry than to burn. But the good thing is, marriage is a wonderful tool to help you to discover the fatherhood of God. Because the minute you marry, you become responsible to provide and to protect and to take responsibility and to sanctify your wife. You then take on the responsibility of giving up your life for your wife, and it's very sweet because you love her. And you know that when you give yourself up for a woman, who is your wife, that you were made to do that, okay? That's what God made you to do. And then, because 
because you're not faithless out of your love, you let God bless you with fruitfulness. You don't want a tomato plant that doesn't produce tomatoes. You don't want a marriage bed that doesn't produce children. It's a tragedy. And so you embrace the children God gives you. And that will help you learn to love fatherhood because all of a sudden, your first child when he's born or she is a gift more wonderful than anybody could ever conceive of. The love that you have for your child, it's absolutely irrepressible. You would have to be a monster to not love your wife, says Cal. Well, you would have to be a monster doubled to not love your child. And so bow before God the Father, from whom all fatherhood gets his name. Let your heart cry out, Abba Father. Learn what it is for your heart to cry out, why it cries that out, what it means. Learn to trust him as a child trusts his father. Learn to watch his ways with you. Learn to see the ways that he blesses your life in, in ways that you never deserve. Learn to notice how he takes your sins and disciplines you as a good father disciplines his son. Learn to see how sometimes slowly and sometimes quickly some of your sins you leave behind because of his kindness and fatherly discipline and affection for you. Learn to pray to him, Father. Learn to notice the ways that Christians who don't pray to him as Father are faithless and are stingy and are tight and are unhappy and are victims and are passive aggressive and are vain and are insecure and you know, learn to see how living, luxuriating God's fatherhood gives you a leg up on everybody else. And I'm not saying go around and think I'm better than they are, but just be noticing the blessings in your life because you love God the Father. And then live life the way he intended you to live it, which is when a man loves a woman. And then love her and don't sleep with her. And don't pet her before you get married because you don't want to trifle with a woman's heart. And then love the children that she gives you. Love her stretch marks because those stretch marks are your fatherhood. I don't know. It's not mystical. It's not magical. It's not complicated. Live as a Christian and your whole life will be a progressive growth in the knowledge and love of fatherhood. There is no way to be a Christian without coming day by day to love fatherhood more. And if anybody thinks they've done it, they're fooling themselves because you can't be a Christian without having your heart cry out, Abba, Father. I know that all sounds like a bunch of, what, gobbledygook spiritual theological language, but actually making love, getting married, making love and having babies and raising them is not really theological at all. And yet it is the most theological thing you can do because it's faith. Nobody has children today except by faith. That's why I say in, the, in Daddy Tried that the greatest adventure the world has ever known is the father of a child. <laughs> and it's not original with me, but the minute I read it, I thought, yeah, that's true. It'll scare the snot out of you. I mean, there is no inadequacy like looking at a little child that's just been born and realizing that poor kid has been born with you as its father. <laughs> oh, man. And then you'll watch it in your life as God takes you sinner though you are, your wife sinner though she is. I mean, I don't know if I can tell this story because I know people look at me at 64 with children and grandchildren and you know, I've written books. And they just think, oh, well, you know, he had a good dad. But listen, everything that God gave me that was good when I was a kid, I trampled on. And so did my wife trample on what she was given as good. 
and I'm going to tell a story, and this will scandalize some people, so I suppose I'll keep the word out of it. But everybody will know what the word is. So we had our first child, Heather, and she was probably, I don't know, two years old, and my parents were coming up to visit that weekend. And we had our small group over from church, sitting around the table eating pancakes. And all of a sudden, Heather turns to her mother, and she says, Mom, I want some more effing pancakes. Now, this is sort of a joke, but Nate, can you do that? Just that. Can you do that? Can you have a baby that will say that at your breakfast table? <laughs> is, or is that too high for you to attain? <laughs> you, you get my point. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it became very clear to Mary Lee and me that our language did not honor God and that we actually <laughs> did not want our daughter using that word when my parents came to visit that weekend. <laughs> and that was God's discipline of us. I mean, if I if I spent time telling you all of the sins and failures of us as parents, of me as a father, let alone have our our children tell it, what are we going to do? Are we going to live our whole lives feeling weak and then dying and standing before God and saying, but God, I felt very weak. I didn't have a model to copy. My mama didn't love me. My papa didn't love me. I mean, what a pathetic thing to say at the end of one's life. You know what I think? I think a lot of men that grew up in homes that were broken of on one level or another are men that are in bondage to the concept of resentment. And I think that an awful lot of their feelings of inadequacy actually aren't feelings of inadequacy. What they really are are feelings of resentment and bitterness. And bitterness in scripture, it's a root that corrupts many. And if you spend your life thinking about what God didn't give you instead of what he gave you, it is utter faithlessness. And when you get done at the end of your life, you will be fully embarrassed. And the world is filled with people who claim to be Christians. And that is the description of their lives. And you don't want to do that. And you don't want to do that because the world is waiting for a man who's six. How tall are you? Six two. Is that all you are? It's in between six two. Well, and the six ha- two. hair has to be what? Five inches tall? <laughs> At least. Yeah. At least. Yeah. 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 Uh, you always feel bigger than I am, but we're both six two, apparently. Yeah. Okay. Jake, you're six three, right? Yeah. Plus. Well, this is why six, we're all six, doing. Four, yeah. Yeah. This is why we're all doing the podcast because we're so superior. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 We're we all are tall. The, we are Pity the, the poor man that has to be a father and isn't six two. <laughs> <laughs> at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you haven't said in the course of these sessions that you would want to say to parents, to fathers, to mothers? Don't be bitter about the pain that God gives you. There's no way to raise children without suffering terribly. You'll suffer because a child has hemophilia, cystic fibrosis. You'll suffer because a child has dyslexia. And remember that the Bible tells us that God is the one who makes the eyes that see and the eyes that are blind, the ears that hear and the ears that are deaf. And if you're bitter, your children will pick that bitterness up and they'll be victims. And what this world does not need one more of is a victim. Teach your children to suffer by faith. You suffer by faith. And realize that the most precious gifts we get from God come through suffering. The suffering of his son and our own suffering. And I wish that I could tell you that I have learned most of what I've learned because I listened to people that told me what to believe and how to act. But I have to say that it seems like I never learn except through suffering. And so have faith for the suffering of your children and your own suffering as parents. When you bury a little one, cry, but don't get bitter. If you bury your third or fourth little one, 
cry and don't get bitter. That's one thing I would want to say. Have faith for your children's suffering. Don't try to protect them from suffering. God did not protect his son from suffering. What would you say to the mothers and fathers who've been following along with this podcast, the dads who are seeing that it's it's late in the game and they've they've they're miserable failures and oh, they know it. So what? Of course you're a miserable failure. My goodness, I've never seen anybody die victoriously. You fight for every breath and then you breathe your last and then you stand before the judgment seat of God. There's nobody who's ever stood there except in the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ. And so what? You know, you're the steward that knows you serve a harsh taskmaster, so you dig a hole and bury your talents. It's just stupid. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died for sinners. And there is not any question in my mind that this is more true than anything that you've ever heard in your life. And what you need to do is you need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. And you would not believe how tiny of a mustard seed of faith we can have, and God can make a mountain out of it. And so it's never too late. It's never too late. When I came back to Jesus, I can distinctly remember surveying the wreckage of the years that I had betrayed Jesus, that I had turned my back on the godly heritage I had. And I can remember thinking to myself that there was no undoing it, that it was too late. And I pleaded with God for mercy and repented, confessed my ingratitude, my rebellion, all my sins. I didn't list them one by one, but he knew that I was fully, fully repentant for everything. And that from this day on, I would live for him. But for what? I had nothing to give him at that point. I had ruined it. Now, I know people listening are thinking, well, how old were you at the time? Well, it's true. I was only 20 or 21 at the time. Well, that's not, how could you say years you had spent in vanity and pride? To a man of 20 or 21, three or four years is a long time. You can do a lot of damage to your life in three or four years, and I had done that damage. One of the things that made me come back to God is realizing how I had made my sin the door of other people to also sin. And it scared me to death to realize how I had used my natural leadership to harm the souls of other people. And you know what? That night that I did business with God by his mercy, he had me open up the Bible and it opened up to Psalms 127 and 128. And it said there that my little kids would be like olive shoots around my table and my wife would be happy. And I remember reading that and thinking, no, I have, I have betrayed everything that's clean in my life and God will never give that to me. But there it was, and it was from God, and it was a promise. And it was absolutely certain in my mind that God was going to restore the years the locusts had eaten. Absolutely certain, because he had made that promise. And I know we're not supposed to open the Bible and read what we see, but God that night gave me those two chapters as a promise for my life. It's never, ever, ever, ever too late. What about the thief on the cross? This day, says Jesus, you will be with me in paradise. You know, there's, there's a concept in, in management that's, I think they speak of it as sunk costs, okay, where you tend to want to stick with a bad decision because you put so much money into your bad decision. You know, you have a car with 200,000 miles on it, you love the car, and so you go ahead and you fix the clutch even though the brake lines are all rusted. Stupid, 
Stop it. The sunk costs are sunk. You're not protecting the money you've spent fixing that clutch by then going ahead and one by one trying to replace all your brake lines. Get rid of the car, okay? And that's what I would say to parents who are maybe 55 and their children have all left home. Don't worry about it. God is in the business of restoring the ears of locusts have eaten, and God's arm is not short. One last thing. This may be reached some of the most intense feelings for me, and I know this is going to sound funny to people, not funny, but sort of sickening. But the place that I really hit this issue of the years the locusts have eaten and, and wanting to give up because it was too late was in the matter of dope, of, of marijuana. Even though I didn't buy it, I had smoked a fair amount, enough so that by the time I came back to the Lord, I was stupefied. I had made myself stupid. I mean, literally made myself stupid. Now, I read constantly. I read while I was stoned. I, I read, 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 read. But my brain was foggy and cloudy and uh, spider webbish and slothful and slow and sticky. And, and I could feel it. When I try to think, I could feel the lack of acuity mentally. I knew that I didn't have nearly the vocabulary I'd had when I was in high school. I couldn't come up with words. I'd try to talk, and I didn't have my ability to use the precise word I wanted. It took years before I began to feel that my brain had mental acuity again. It took years before my vocabulary returned. So what? Should I not have to pay for my wickedness? I'm going to make a principle out of the very things that are God's punishment for my wickedness and say, well, I don't want to have a vocabulary. You know, that's what the whole world is today is a bunch of victims saying that they don't want to have a vocabulary. And it's, why not fall in love with life and with God who restores the ears the locusts have eaten? And why not live in hope, you know? And sure, you've hurt how much you can hope for by, you know, it may be that the rest of your life you're going to suffer with wanting to have a joint. So what? What's the point of living life without hope? You know, there should be things we hope for, and hope is the evidence of things not seen. In other words, start tonight. Take a little step. Tell your wife you love her and tussle the hair of your teenage son. Or take your grandchildren out and show them how to change a tire or how to check the tire pressure. Who knows? Take a little step. Don't, don't think that today everything's going to be different. It won't be. But it will be entirely different because you will live whatever limited way you live today. You will live for the first time by faith and do whatever faith calls you to do. The World Be Made was produced by Nathan Alberson, executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jacob Benzel. For more great content, go to warhornmedia.com or check us out on social media as at warhornmedia. What's the next season going to be about, Jake? I have no idea. We tried to do this last time, and then we called an audible. So <laughs> not going to make that mistake again. But if they want to see another season of this podcast, they need they to do? give us at least a million dollars. At least a million dollars. Patreon.com forward slash out of our minds. That's the way to support this work and to ensure that we are able to produce season three. Now, The World We Made is not the only podcast that we have at Warhorn right. Media. You might be afraid anything. we're leaving you high and dry. False. 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 
go to Sound of Sanity, our other podcast available wherever fine podcasts are downloadable. What's that show all about, Jake? Oh, it's about us hitting with all the hot topics, the places in our culture, pop culture, family, sexuality, whatever, the places where we feel insane as Christians. Mm -hmm. We bring a little sanity to your life. It features Jake, features me, our beloved engineer, Mr. Benjamin Solzer, great guy. And be sure to rate and review all of our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, give us five stars. Give us a little blurb on that would really help us with World We Made. If you yeah. just go right now. Yeah. Or again, vote with your money. Vote with your money. Yes. Patreon.com forward slash out of our minds. And if you've profited from this podcast series, please be sure to pick up a copy of Tim's book, Daddy Tried. Daddy Tried Overcoming the Failures of Fatherhood. It is the next step. If you've enjoyed this content, you want more of the same, you want it deeper, you want it richer, the next place to go is to that book available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, wherever you can get your books online and available soon at warhornmedia.com. The best book on fatherhood currently in print says no less in authority than John Frame. Really encourage you to pick that up. Do it. Do it. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next year. Bye.